We will always remember 2022 as the year that the Queen died, as the year that the second Elizabethan era came to an end. It would be hard to deny that this is a significant moment for our nation on the death of our longest serving monarch. And at a time like this, it is right to pause and ask, what is God saying to us? And in order to do that, we don't need to try and read providence, but rather we can go to God's word and we can ask if there are any similar events that we can learn from. And in Isaiah chapter 6, we have a striking parallel to what has happened in our own nation in recent days. Because in Isaiah chapter 6, we have the death of a long-serving monarch. And we're going to consider that event and its relevance for us at this point in history under three headings this morning. We'll spend most of our time on the first one, uh, which is that the Queen's death should make us look to God. The Queen's death should make us look to God. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, as we know, reigned for 70 years. The longest reigning king of Judah was Manasseh, who reigned for 55 years, but a close second to him was Uzziah, who reigned for 52 years. And in this chapter in front of us today, it begins in the year that this king Uzziah dies. There aren't many people in 2022 who can remember when Elizabeth II came to the throne. And it would have been the same in the year that King Uzziah died. And so when Uzziah dies, it would have been the first time that most people had experienced the death of a monarch. It would have been the first time that many of them would have known the throne to be empty. So in terms of the death of a long reigning monarch, there's already a big connection here to our day. There's also a connection in terms of the state of the nation. Uzziah was on the whole a godly king. Someone has said that Judah had known no king like Uzziah since the time of Solomon. That was 200 years before. No king like Uzziah for two centuries. And looking to the future, it didn't look like they would see his like again. Under Uzziah's leadership, Judah had grown militarily and economically. Uh, Uzziah had completed great building projects. Uh, and the book of Chronicles uh, tells us that this was because God marvelously helped him. Uh, and as a result, he knew international fame. That's uh, 2 Chronicles 2.26. Or 2 Chronicles 26. Uh, think of all the, the world leaders at the Queen's funeral. Uzziah was similarly well regarded in his day because God was with him. But now he's dead. And it really does mark the end of an era for God's people. And as they looked to the future, they wouldn't have done so with much optimism. 
the, the Assyrian Empire was getting stronger and stronger and becoming a real threat to their future prosperity. I, invasion was a very real threat. Uh, and in a way, we too are heading into a winter now following the death of the Queen, uh, where there's real anxiety about the cost of living, where there's a real sense that a time of prosperity is coming to an end. Uzziah's death also came at a time of spiritual decline. He himself didn't end well as a king. Uh, the king who followed him was a good king, but we're told that the people still followed corrupt practices. That, that's 2 Chronicles 27 2. And then the king after him was a, a bad king, uh, so bad that he even burned his sons as offerings to pagan gods. So the death of King Uzziah was not good news for God's people. The nation was already growing more corrupt and his death symbolised the end of an era. And in light of all that, it's very interesting how Isaiah speaks about the date of his call here in chapter 6. Commentators debate whether Isaiah chapter 6 records Isaiah's initial call to serve God or whether it's more of a recommissioning. But either way, what's really interesting is that Isaiah is the only prophet in the Bible to date an event by the death of a king. The only time in the Bible that a prophet dates an event by the death of a king. He doesn't begin the chapter by saying, well, in the, in the 52nd year of the king of King Uzziah, which, which would be the normal way uh, for a prophet to speak. But he says, in the year that King Uzziah died. It's as if the death of the king symbolizes a nation that's entering into its death throes. After the announcement of the death of our own queen, someone commented, It does feel like the end, the very end of Christendom. Christendom being a word used to describe the concept of Christian nations. Now if you wanted to, to try and pinpoint the end of Christendom in the UK, you you you'd probably do it a fair bit earlier than 2022. It's not that the worrying trends that we see in our nation this week, it's not that they weren't there during the Queen's reign, that they've all suddenly emerged. But with her death, there is a sense that we're now fully into a new era. A new era where the idea that a king or queen would go on TV on Christmas Day and speak about the Lord Jesus Christ seems very, very far away. And all those, those worries and anxieties that, that we may have about the future, they would have been shared by Isaiah 700 years before the birth of Christ. As he hears the news that, that the king of his nation is dead, Christians in the UK today have, have many concerns and Isaiah uh, would, have, would have shared those. 
And so in light of all that, the question is, what does God do for Isaiah at this watershed moment in the history of the nation? Because surely whatever God did for Isaiah then is what God would want to do for us today. So what does God do for Isaiah? Well, quite simply, he lifts his eyes to see a greater king. He lifts his eyes to see a greater king. That is what we all need to see today. Verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. As he goes on to say in verse 5, My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. The throne on earth may have been empty, but not the throne in heaven. And so with all the uncertainty that the monarch's death brings, in the face of all the worries that the future might hold, Isaiah's greatest need and his nation's greatest need and our greatest need is to see the one who is on the one throne that really matters. To be reminded there is a throne in heaven and it is not empty. That throne will never be declared empty, awaiting a new coronation. And that glorious message was actually a message that was proclaimed very clearly at the Queen's funeral on Monday for those who had ears to hear. One of the most moving parts of the two services that were broadcast was the removal of the crown, orb and scepter from the coffin. No matter how long reigning an earthly monarch is, there comes a time when the crown must be removed from their head for a final time. But not so with Jesus Christ. And that is who Isaiah sees here, by the way. Uh, This is none other than the Lord Jesus himself. We know that because John tells us that in John chapter 8. John quotes from this chapter, uh, he speaks of Jesus and then he says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. And Jesus is a king who reigns and rules forever. That contrast was specifically made in the opening hymn at the funeral, uh, presumably picked uh, very deliberately by the queen herself. Speaking of God, it says, Thy throne shall never, like earth's proud empires, pass away. (laughs) What what, what a hymn for a, a monarch to pick for their funeral. Pointing people to a throne that would never pass away. And at a time of uncertainty, a time of transition, how we need reminded of that. Earth's proud empires... Uh, Some of them very proud at the moment, a proud in how they're competing with each other to oppose Christ and his people. Uh, And our, our own is no different. They will pass away. The United Kingdom will not last forever, but Jesus Christ remains on the throne. And what is true of the king's throne, uh, that it will last forever, is also true of his kingdom. The hymn goes on to say, Thy kingdom stands and grows forever. 
As Psalm 145 puts it, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Are you worried about the future of the church in the UK? Well, let me ask you this. Do you believe that Jesus Christ will rule and reign as king forever? Do you believe that? Well, if so, you don't need to worry that the church is going to be snuffed out. Because what sort of a king doesn't have a kingdom? What sort of a king doesn't have a kingdom? Remember Nebuchadnezzar's vision of, of the stone that, that becomes a great mountain and fills the whole earth. Remember Jesus' parable of the mustard seed that starts so small but ends up filling the earth. That's where all of human history is heading. And to quote that hymn from the, the funeral, uh, yet again it says that his kingdom will grow forever till all thy creatures own thy sway. In other words, till the moment where every single person will acknowledge Jesus Christ for who he really is. Uh, as Philippians 2 tells us, uh, it's the moment when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But not all will do that willingly. And if you don't acknowledge Jesus as King now, one day you will have to do it reluctantly and unwillingly. When the door is shut, when there is no longer any opportunity to enter his kingdom. For many, the thought of giving up whatever small amount of worldly glory or status we may have is a thing to be resisted. Whatever we think of as our crown, we hold on to it for as long as we can. Many see the kingship of Jesus Christ as a threat to their freedom, to their achieving what they want in life. But I, I don't think Queen Elizabeth did. Another hymn at her funeral spoke of the day when we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love and praise. She had a literal crown to cast before him. But, but we all have things that we can think of as our crown. Uh, we, all, we have our, our status, our, our, our rights as, as we think about them. So will we cling on to those things or will we cast those things before him? Will we say, I have a right to, to this, this and this or, or I shouldn't have to uh, do that if that other person isn't going to do that? Do we talk like that or, or do we give up all those rights for the sake of Jesus Christ? Are we willing to take off whatever it is that we think of as our crown, bow the knee to Jesus and throw those crowns before him? When the queen received the orb at her coronation all those years ago, it was handed to her with the words, Receive this orb set under the cross and remember that the whole world is subject to the power and empire of Christ our Redeemer. Remember that the whole world is subject to the power and empire of Christ our Redeemer. Powerful words, true words, but by nature none of us remember that. It's our natural disposition not to want to subject ourselves to the power and empire of Christ. 
But that is futile. It would be as pointless as as holding up a sign as Charles walks past saying, Not my king. You might not like him. You you can hold up whatever signs you want. You can get away with shouting abuse at him for a while perhaps. But none of that will change anything. He is the king whether we like it or not. And the same is true of Jesus Christ, but but in a far greater way. Because this king is is very different from Charles. This king has given his life so that rebels like us, who by nature hate the idea of him reigning over us, could have our hearts changed. That we would be made willing and happy subjects of our happy and glorious king. And how great would it be if the events of the last couple of weeks would lead to many putting their trust in Jesus Christ. That there would be those throughout the world and perhaps even some here today this morning who would say in the year that Queen Elizabeth died I saw the Lord. I saw him sitting on his throne. I bowed the knee to him and I gave my life to him. So firstly, this morning, the Queen's death should make us look to God. Uh, our second two points are, 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 are briefer. Uh, but secondly, we see the believers need to, to keep looking to Jesus. The believers need to keep looking to Jesus. The moment that Isaiah sees the Lord, it's not the moment that he's converted because he's already converted at this point. But this is a moment after which he will never be the same again. And our lives too must be shaped by this vision of Jesus Christ. Not, not, not only this vision of him, as we see here in Isaiah 6, but Jesus as he painted for us in, in all the scriptures. But we do have here one of the most glorious pictures of our Lord in the whole Bible. So let's savour it together now. Let's fix our eyes on him. And let's pray that the Holy Spirit would so shape our lives by this vision that each and every one of us could look back to the year that the Queen died and see it as a significant year in our own spiritual growth. Perhaps for the last number of years, your gaze has been more on other things. But what an opportunity we have at this moment in history to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. So what did Isaiah see? And what do we see by faith this morning as the Spirit brings Isaiah's vision home to us? Well, we see the Lord high and lifted up. The throne is high and lifted up, way above the empty earthly throne of Uzziah. But the words particularly refer to the one sitting on that throne. In the most famous passage in Isaiah, the Lord Jesus will be described in the same way. Uh, Chapter 53 is introduced with the words, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. And today, the one on that throne shares our flesh and blood. The dust of earth sits on the throne of heaven. But perhaps there's a question on your mind as you look at the end of verse 1. 
Or even if there's not, here's a question worth thinking about. When Isaiah tells us that the train of his robe filled the temple, the question is, well, well, which temple is Isaiah talking about here? Where does he see the Lord? Does he see the Lord in the earthly temple or in the heavenly one? And the answer is both. He sees the throne and the one sitting on it in heaven. Uh, We sang from Psalm 11 earlier, uh, the Lord's throne is in heaven. But here the train of his robe or the edges of his robe, they they reach down and they touch down and they fill the earthly temple. When she got married in 1947, Queen Elizabeth's train was 13 feet long. Uh, But that was only uh, about half the length of the longest train in royal wedding history. Uh, Princess Diana's was 25 feet long. But those trains have nothing on this. Uh, Maybe you say, well, what does the length of a train have to do with anything? Uh, The point is that the temple, the place on earth where God's people meet together to worship him on the basis of blood that has been shed... The temple is the point where heaven and earth meet. And that meeting of heaven and earth is symbolized by the the train of his robe touching down from heaven here to the earthly temple. As a godly Bible commentator who passed away recently at the age of 91 put it, God's exalted sovereignty is earthed. Uh, Like an earth wire, it connects right down to the ground. In the Bible, the earth in general is described as God's footstool, uh, as a place where his feet rest. But more specifically, so are the Ark of the Covenant, Jerusalem, and the temple itself. Isaiah chapter 60, speaking of the temple specifically, God says, God says of it, I will make the place of my feet glorious. I will make the place of my feet glorious. And so to come to the earthly temple was to come to the place where heaven and earth connected. It was to come to the place where the edges of his robe reached down and filled. Whether people had eyes to see them uh, as Isaiah did or not. Today we have, we have no temple to go to. Uh, so, so what's the equivalent for us? Well, it's any place where God's people meet together to worship him in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. It can be a church building. Uh, for us it is. It could be a, a school sports hall. It could be out in the fields. There's nothing special about a church building. But as God's people come together to worship him on his day, we come to his footstool. We come in the expectation that he will be present. As we sang from Psalm 99 at the beginning, O people, let the Lord our God by you exalted be, and at his footstool worship him, the Holy One is he. People say, well, I I can worship God myself by going for a walk in in the countryside or I can stay at home and watch a service online. But that's not where God tells you to come to to worship him. 
So to come back to, to, to what I said earlier on, if our lives need to be shaped by this vision of the Lord Jesus on the throne, then what must be central to our lives? Well, surely it must be coming to his footstool and worshipping him. Coming to the place where the train of his robe reaches down from heaven to earth. Coming to the place where he is present in order to bless as his word is opened. And that's the primary way in which we'll be able to say, in the year that Queen Elizabeth died, I saw the Lord. And in each subsequent year, whatever is happening around the world, we will be enabled to say that I saw the Lord because week by week I came to his footstool to worship him. And so my life was shaped not by the news or the culture or what everyone around me was panicking about, but by him. That brings us to our final point this morning. And that is the impact that such a vision should have. The impact that such a vision should have so far we haven't got beyond the first verse of this marvellous chapter uh, and I don't intend to reference uh, much of the rest of the chapter but, but it would be hard to preach on any part of Isaiah 6 and not mention the declaration of the angels in verse 3 these seraphim uh, whose name means burning ones uh, gleaming as a flaming fire symbolic of the purity and power of the heavenly throne room these angels who have never sinned and yet they cry out holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory what is holiness well this tells us doesn't it that it's not simply the absence of sin because those seraphim had never sinned angels are called holy in the bible but they are never called holy 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 and so we're being told here that god is utterly distinct utterly distinct not just from sinful human beings but even from sinless angels in terms of, of God's creation, uh, we might rank it like this. You, ha- you have worms down, down near the bottom. Uh, you have human beings up near the top. You, you have angels a bit above them. But where's God? Well, God is on a completely different scale. God is as far above an angel as he is above a worm. God is as far above an angel as he is above a worm because he is infinitely above all his creatures. And in the light of God's brilliant purity, Isaiah becomes deeply conscious of his own sin. Uh, We see that in verse 5. In the previous chapters, Isaiah has pronounced six woes on the wicked. But when he sees this awesome vision of the Lord Jesus in his glory, he speaks one final woe, one seventh woe with all the significance of the number seven. And who is that woe on? It's on himself. Woe is me, for I am lost or or undone. 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. In the church, we can be good at pronouncing woes on the wicked. We can be good at pronouncing the first six woes that Isaiah pronounces, but do we ever pronounce the seventh woe? Do we ever say, woe is me? And if we we don't have a a keen sense of our own sinfulness today, if we're keenly aware of the sins of other people, but not our own sin, surely it's because we're not seeing the Lord as he really is. It's easy to condemn others. But if we only see their sinfulness and not our own, is it because we haven't seen the Lord in his glory? Is it because our our gaze has drifted from him? It was striking on Monday to see the whole country shut down to honour the Queen. Looking out across the road, we could see Morrison's car park empty. Even the garage was shut. Barely a car went past our house. The post wasn't delivered. I'm sure that if there had been children out playing uh, and making noise at at 11am when the funeral started there would have been people frowning about it. No doubt if any of the big supermarkets had decided to stay open, there would have been an outcry. Our nation shut down for a day to honour the Queen, and rightly so. And yet our nation will not shut down on this day to honour the King. Even though the King, the Lord of hosts, tells tells us to keep his day holy, not just to, to, to remember a, a dead monarch, but to meet with a living monarch who, who wants to meet with us, who wants to have fellowship with us, who wants to bless us. And yet the shops are open. 11 a.m. comes, 11.30, and it doesn't even register with people that they have a duty to be in church worshipping God. The football authorities who cancelled uh, matches at short notice when the Queen died uh, and all the, the loss of revenue that that entailed. Well, they have, have scheduled matches for today. They, they won't forego that revenue in order to obey God. Even professing Christians can, can seem to think that as long as they go to church for an hour, they can spend the rest of the day as they like. And is it not because we've lost a view of the holiness of God? The one who from the beginning of creation not just made man male and female, but who hallowed one day in seven, who set it apart as distinct, as special, as holy, and for our good. And the the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, he calls us to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. How many Christians are there who will argue for marriage between one man and one woman because it's a creation ordinance, because it was there at the very beginning, and and they're right to do so, but they won't do the same for the Lord's Day. But both existed before sin came into the world. Both existed long before the Jewish people ever came into being. And we ignore this day to the spiritual harm of ourselves, of our children, of our churches and of our nation. Seeing the Lord in his glory would give us a deeper sense of our own sinfulness. 
Now I'm sure that to many ears that would sound psychologically harmful. Perhaps you, you imagine someone with a deep awareness of their own sin will walk around gloomily with their head down bringing a dark cloud into every room that they enter. But actually, what do a group of people with a deep awareness of their own sin look like? Well, they're quick to confess those sins to one another. They don't think of themselves any more highly than they ought. They don't stand on their rights. They don't keep a mental record of every little infringement someone commits against them. Because they realise that they do far worse themselves. When their child misbehaves in school, they don't blame the, the teachers or, or, or someone or something else. They take the child home and they deal with it because the reality of sin means that they don't have to pretend that their little boy or girl is a wee angel who would never do anything wrong. A deep sense of your own sinfulness will only lead to despair if you don't also have a deep sense that that sin has been forgiven. But that's exactly what what Isaiah receives assurance of here in verses 6 and 7. Even before this, the very fact that in, in Isaiah's vision the Lord is in the temple is a reminder that God meets with us on the basis of sacrifice and sins forgiven as our sins are at the cross Uh, but specifically here in verses 6 and 7 one of the seraphim one of the angels touches his lips uh, the very part of him where he'd been most conscious of his own sin and says your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for and you can have the same confidence today if you're a believer in Jesus Christ If your faith is in him, you can be even more sure of your salvation today than if an angel would come down from heaven and tell you that your sins are forgiven. Because with the authority of God himself, I can declare to you that if you have repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Isn't that amazing? To know not just the reality of our sin. We must come to that realisation but we can't stop there because it will lead to despair. But the reality of sins atoned for, guilt taken away. And does that not set us free to serve him wholeheartedly? That's where I want us to finish today. What impact would such a vision of the Lord Jesus have on us today? Well, surely it would have the same impact as it had on Isaiah. That when the Lord says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah can do nothing else but say, here I am, send me. As becomes clear in the following verses, the task that he signed up for is going to be hard. It's going to be discouraging. It's going to be a long old slog. But having seen Jesus Christ in his glory, he can do nothing else but devote his life to his service. Can we do any less? Perhaps your Christian life has been stuck in a rut for a while now. How can you get out of that rut? Well, by looking to Jesus as he's pictured in his word. 
And I pray that for many of us that this will be a time when we start taking bigger strides forward in our Christian lives. That we would be able to look back on 2022 and say, whether it was connected to the Queen's death or not, in the year that Queen Elizabeth died, I saw the Lord and I was never the same again. Amen. Well, let's close by singing about the one throne which shall never, like earth's proud empires, pass away. Using the words of Psalm 145. Psalm 145a, 6 to 10, on page 353. Psalm 145a, starting at verse 6, at the top of page 353. And particularly verses 8 and 9. The glory of your kingdom tell, and of your power speak will they, to show his might to sons of men, his glorious kingdom's majesty. Your kingdom has no end. Your rule through generations all remains. The Lord upholds all those who fall. The bowed down raises up again. How could David talk like that? Well, because like Isaiah, he had seen the Lord. And so King David points us to a greater king. As by God's grace will all the events of the past number of weeks. Psalm 145a, 6 to 10, will stand to sing. <laughs>